Yo, what's up, everybody? Artisan here. Or Carlos. Or whatever you know me as. So, there is definitely not a lot of time left before year-end season begins. Uh, award season, I mean, for that matter. Um, we, we're literally at, like, two months now from the point of me actually uploading the episodes for my top 100 songs of the year, which I said before will be followed by the episodes for my top 50 records of the year. Over the weekend, I started to at least draft a possible top 50 records list. So all I really did was I went through the playlist that I made for Spotify where I add everything that I listened to this year. So I just went through that playlist and I picked out records that I was like, hey, maybe this can make it. Not records that I knew for sure could make it, but at least like Something that, like those records at least had something that I could remember being really, really captivated by. And so I put them on the list. And I think in my mind, I thought, like, maybe I can get to 50 right now. And at, at worst, maybe like 60, uh, approximately around that area is what I thought the list would look like as of right now. Um, it is at 108 records. And that includes uh, one of the records that I'm going to be talking about on this episode. So it's completely up to date. And I looked through those 108 records and I was just like, I really, really don't know how I'm supposed to narrow this down while also having the mindset that there are going to be more records added to that list of candidates, L like a lot more records. We are really only starting to get into that like loaded section of the fall where every week from now on it's just top album after top album after top album and it's going to be insane to like like just even think that i'm gonna have to take these records and narrow this down to 50 like i really really did not um i i didn't think this through let me put it that way uh i'm gonna go ahead and do it though like i'm still very very sold on the idea of having the episodes for the top 50 records and top 100 songs, but it is going to be way, way more challenging than I imagined it would be. And, you know, whose fault is that? It's mine. So yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll make do with it. I'll live with it somehow. So for this chapter, did I say episode earlier? Or I don't, I'm, fuck it, man. I don't, I don't know. Uh, on this chapter, we are going to be looking at records from Poor Stacy, Cemetery Sun, and Trivium, along with some singles from the likes of Volumes, I Sign Kills, Like Pacific, Sea Space Cowboy, and Starset, along with others, of course. So, yeah. Thanks, everyone. Enjoy this chapter. Just for full transparency, this is my second time recording this part. The first time I did it, I didn't really like how it came out because I think this is a topic that should be kind of navigated carefully and considerately given the nature of it. So uh, I was initially going to come on here for this chapter and say, 
like, oh, there's no music news this week, so let me go ahead and just talk about Squid Game, because that's what interests me right now, that's what excites me. And I will talk about Squid Game at the end of this chapter, because I really do want to. Uh, however, there actually is news to cover, and it's pretty massive, and should not be ignored. Um, so, Bring Me the Horizon announced a European tour that is happening, I believe, February of 2022. If it's not February, it's sometime early 2022. Um, and the support for that tour will come from Poor Stacy, Lorna Shore, and A Day to Remember. Uh, I want to start off by saying that Poor Stacy and Lorna Shore getting on a bill like this and getting to play the size of arenas they're going to is fucking outstanding and I'm so proud of all those guys and I really really wish the best for them on this tour and then there is a day to remember and that is where the troubling aspect of all this comes from so for, for those who might not know and that field of people who don't know is a lot larger than those in the scene would think um Joshua Woodard, who is the bassist for a data member, has had some allegations come up against him over the last like year or year and a half, and there has been a lack of communication between a data member and their label Feel by Ramen, and then all of those in their fan base who have questions about what is going on. That lack of communication has really, really hurt the image of a data member for a lot of people. Um, and for, for good reason, I think, you know, you should be outraged, you should be angry, you should feel hurt by the, the lack of, um, what's, what's that word? Um, I, I don't know what I'm trying to say. There's a word for that. The lack of, uh, accountability. That's what I was thinking of. The lack of accountability on the part of not only Josh, but everybody in a data member, all of those who represent them through management, everybody from Feel by Ramen who has anything to do with a data member. There, there's just nothing to give the audience to let them know that they hear them and they understand them. Um, so for a data member to get on a tour like this, that is, pretty questionable it's very confusing at the same time i think people need to understand that the percentage of a data member's audience or let's not say a data member's audience the percentage of people within the music scene the fan bases who are aware of the allegations is incredibly small compared to the percentage of those who have no idea about any of this stuff um you know, when you go on Twitter and Discord and Reddit and all these other places where you can find a lot of information about the allegations, that is kind of just a small corner of the industry. Because when you check Instagram, the reception to the tour announcement has been largely positive. Uh, if you were to go on Facebook, you would see that the complaints are not coming from people who are concerned about it and remember being on this tour, but rather people expressing how disappointed they are that neither Bring Me the Horizon nor a data member play heavy music anymore. And in that case, you know, maybe it was a mistake to not allow Facebook to just go off and die last week. Um, and then if you go to YouTube, the you, you do a YouTube search for a data member. The first result is the music video for 
that song at the end of uh, You're Welcome. I think it's called All We Ever Needed or something like that. Um, I strongly, strongly dislike that song, but that's besides the point. Uh, all the top comments on that video are just people praising the song, praising a data member, praising You're Welcome. Uh, if you do a Google search for a data member, none of the immediate results have anything about the allegations. I believe if you go to the, their Wikipedia page as well, there is nothing on there. This is not as widespread of a news story as people would like for it to be. Um, you cannot assume that anyone who listens to a data member has any idea about the allegations. And I think that extends to other band members as well. I think it is entirely possible that the members of Bring Me the Horizon do not know about this stuff. They are not checking social media regularly for things that have nothing to do with them. You know, they are busy people. They have their own lives. This is not something that exists in their stratosphere. And that's not me making excuses for any of, you know, what's happening. It's just me saying it's not really right to just immediately go after Bring Me the Horizon and be like, oh, how could y'all do this? Again, it is entirely possible that they don't know about this stuff. Because there are a lot of fans who don't know about it either. I saw some responses on Twitter of people just being like, oh, I had no idea. And you cannot be surprised when people have no idea because, again, this is not common knowledge. It's common knowledge to us because we exist heavily in that social media stratosphere. But the majority of a data member's audience, they don't. They don't know what's going on. And there, there's a lot of moving pieces in touring that come down to just more than the band members themselves. I don't necessarily believe that Bring Me The Horizon were just sitting around one day and being like, oh, let's take a data member on tour. Um, Bring Me The Horizon and a data member have the same agency. It is called United Talent. So I do believe that the, you know, the representatives of Bring Me The Horizon just pulled a data member for this tour because they thought, hey, you know, it's a big name and we've got two smaller acts, relatively smaller acts on the on the lineup. You know, let's have a, a bigger artist for that direct support slot. At least that's just what I think happened. Um, you know, I'm not, I don't actually work in the music industry. I'm not an expert with any of this stuff. So don't take my word as any bit of truth. That's just how I can perceive that scenario having gone. And so I, I think the actual like agents and managers, that is where the questions should be directed. If you want to tag Bring Me the Horizon on social media and be like, hey, what is this? You know, go ahead. I don't really know what that's going to do. Maybe it brings attention to them. Maybe it doesn't. So you can just do a Google search and you can find the contact links for the people who would have been the ones organizing this tour. I did go ahead and send an email to... I believe his name is Paul Ryan, and he is the representative of the London branch for United Talent. So he would have been the one that has either direct or a lot of involvement with organizing the tour and the lineup and the venues and all that stuff, the dates. Um, so, you know, I did email him, like I said, it was nothing irate, nothing angry. I kind of just outlined everything that I've been saying here and nothing is going to happen. But I just wanted to at least try and be proactive about this. If I was going to come on this podcast and express all these thoughts, you know, don't just talk about it, be about it. And like I said, nothing is going to happen. Uh, maybe if there is 
enough of a backlash that extends beyond just Twitter, then something could happen. Uh, you know, I, I also think that if the re-entry tour, which is a tour that I didn't remember are currently on right now, if that tour was proven to have, like, had, um, been, if the negative press around uh, a data member actually impacted the commercial success of that tour, so like ticket sales and whatever, then, you know, maybe there would be some, something that an agency or managers could do to actually get a data member off of this lineup. But from the videos that I've seen on YouTube and social media of the reentry tour, it's doing well. So it doesn't look like a data member's commercial success was actually impacted by the allegations. If anything, maybe it was slightly impacted by people just not liking the songs off of Your Welcome. But from everything that I've seen, there will not be this... There won't... I don't want to say there won't be a real reason to take a data member off the tour because there is a real reason to do it. But as far as like the logistics and the statistics go to the people who book these tours, I don't know if... One, they know about this stuff, or two, they would care, given that a day to remember are still a successful band that can draw ticket sales. So that's kind of just, you know, what I had to say about that. I, I do wish I had more to offer, but really all I can just say is that, you know, it is what it is, and it sucks, but, you know, the industry is just, in this instance, going to be the industry, and for as much as I, and I'm sure others would like to change that aspect of this industry that we're so devoted to. It's just not possible. So I'm actually recording this part separately from the rest of the episode. I'm in public right now, so I can't talk too loudly. Um, that's why this sounds like really shady. Um, but there is an update on the matter. Josh has stepped down from a date. Remember, he is no longer a part of the band. Uh, he was not kicked out. He voluntarily left and a data member is still on the tour with Bring Me the Horizon. That is still going to happen. So, you know, do with that what you will, I guess. So that was kind of all I had to say about, you know, news, topics, whatever. Uh, we'll get into some singles now. And the first bit of music-related news I want to get into is the announcement that Like Pacific will have a new album called Control My Sanity dropping on December 3rd. So literally the cutoff date for my year-end list and I'm very happy that's going to be the case because just going off of the quality of the two singles from Like Pacific last week, this is going to be a real fucking contender for something at the end of the year. Uh, my favorite song of last week came from one of those two singles by Like Pacific, and it is called Love Them and Leave Them. I'll circle back to the other single uh, later on in this chapter, but for right now, I do want to focus on Love Them and Leave Them because this one came out of fucking nowhere. Like Pacific is a band that I, uh, similarly to some other acts this year, like Trash Boat, for example, a band that I knew of beforehand and I thought were very solid, but if you had asked me, like, do I think that they could have a massive impact on my fandom and what I am listening to in 2021? I would have said, respectfully, I would have said not really. Um, that shut me the fuck up immediately once I heard Love Them and Leave Them. Uh, just right from the get-go, like that like fast and energetic 
style of pop punk with some aggression to the way that this track is executed. That really, really spoke to me. I think Love Them and Leave Them, it, it's angsty, it's catchy. Everything about this song just really, really works. And I, like the other single that I said I'll talk about later on, like that did a lot as well to get me excited for this record from Like Pacific. But if Love Them and Leave Them had been the only single, that would have done just as much good for my perception of this band and this record come December 3rd. Um, yeah, Love Them and Leave Them is fucking incredible. And I am very, very glad that we got not one, but two songs from Like Pacific to start off this album cycle on probably as good of a note as it could have possibly started with. Staying on the subject of album announcements, there is news about a brand new record from Volumes. It is called Happier, and it's dropping on November 19th. Uh, so, Waited and Get Enough are the two prior singles that are going to be on this record, and we got the third one last Friday in the form of Bend. This announcement was such a long time coming because Volumes have not had a full-length record out since 2017. Uh, they had an EP in 2019, but then after that, there, other than like a couple of singles back when Michael Barr rejoined the band in early 2020, there wasn't anything concrete yet about the direction of Volumes, and maybe that can be attributed to the pandemic, uh, but regardless of whatever the case was, we are at least finally on the road to a brand new album cycle very, very quickly for that matter. There's like a five-week separation, I think, between the announcement and us actually getting the final record. But just going off of uh, Ben and the direction that song takes, I can tell that Happier is going to be a very versatile record that shows off every aspect of volumes that makes them one of the best metalcore bands in the scene today. And I say that because Weighted is like a heavier track um and that was quite different from get enough which i felt kind of blended the heavier and softer sides of volumes volumes together and then bend is just this very relaxed and chill and it, it, in some ways like r&b or pop inspired um that was just like the the perception that i had of bend and I think it is an incredible song, quite possibly my favorite of the singles so far for Happy Year. And I just ha have no doubt that volumes are going to deliver with this immaculate release that stands up to everything else that they've ever put out in their careers. So the week that this episode is being released is the week that The Silver Scream 2, Welcome to Horrorwood, drops for Ice Nine Kills. So I didn't think that there was going to be another single so close to that record's release. But they went ahead and put out both the song Funeral Derangements as well as the music video for it. I'll see you on the other side, but I'd kill to bring you back tonight. Don't give up, don't let go, I'll make this right. I'll take through sorrow and disgust, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, don't give up. There are few bands that can actually pull off music videos with such pristine and effectiveness uh i i think like you know you'd have to throw in like bring me the horizon don broco motionless and white uh falling in reverse even though like i don't i know that they're um 
a pretty polarizing act, but I think as far as music videos go, those are the artists who I point to and say they have it down, they know what the fuck they're doing. And so it's those people, and then it's Ice Nine Kills just a step above them. Ice Nine Kills are the most theatrical band that I have ever witnessed in the scene, and I am so, so goddamn appreciative for all of that, for all that they're doing. The video itself for Funeral Derangements has such a stacked roster involved in it. You have uh, Bill Mosley, who is from The Devil's Rejects and House of a Thousand Corpses, and then Miko Hughes, who is actually from the original Pet Cemetery film, which is what this song is based off of. Uh, you've got like a, an appearance by Josh from Bad Flower, uh, Chelsea Rebecca, who I believe is from some YouTube series. I don't know the name of it off the top of my head. I'm sorry for that. Uh, so Ice Nine Kills, you know, really went above and beyond for the production of this video, and they also went above and beyond for the production of the track itself. Funeral Derangements, it has all of those intricate layers and the theatrics that I would expect from an Ice Nine Kills song. Funeral Derangements is right up there with all the other singles that we've heard so far from The Silver Scream 2, and, you know, I don't know if it's my favorite because Assault and Batteries is some deeply good shit, just saying. Uh, but regardless of whether it's my favorite or not, it is an insane track. It, it fits right in with everything that Ice Nine Kills are doing, and they have been doing for a while now. And all this did was just intensify my excitement for the experience I'm going to get listening to the remainder of the Soda Scream 2. Sea Space Cowboy released the second single off of The Romance of Affliction, which is their new album dropping on November 5th. Uh, the single features Aaron Galepsi from Under Oath, and it is called Intersecting Storylines to the Same Tragedy. I don't remember the like exact vernacular that I used when talking about the prior single to this record, which was Misinterpreting Constellations on like uh, two chapters ago, three chapters ago. I don't remember exactly, but I'm probably just going to end up reiterating myself now. Sea Space Cowboy is one of the most exciting up and coming bands in the scene. And they have been for like quite a while now, at the very least, like two years, two and a half years. Uh, they just, they've got everything down, man. They do everything right. They have, like, everything from their image to their sound to... I, I hit my microphone right now. That's what that sound was. Uh, the, the Like, their image, their sound, uh, their packaging, the presentation, the way that they shoot everything. Like, City Space Cowboy, for being still a relatively young band, they are so far ahead of the game, it's not even funny. What intersecting storylines to the same tragedy does is it achieves the same thing as misinterpreting constellations as far as, like showing just how well-versed Sea Space Cowboy are in that throwback style of post-hardcore and the balance that the band is able to find between their more melodic sections and then the heavier sections where... Is that a fucking car again? Shit. Whatever. Uh, finding that balance between like the melodic sections and then the heavier parts where Connie is just screaming her fucking head off and she is insane at that. And having Aaron Galepsi be part of this track... It was so dope, in my opinion, because I would credit Aaron with being one of the faces of that post-hardcore movement from back in the day. And so his involvement, I don't want to say it gives, like, 
legitimacy to this track because the track was legitimate in its own way way before like any anything involving Aaron um but him being there it's it's a very good bridge between like what he's doing nowadays with Underoath and then the stuff that Underoath were doing back then because they're kind of not really night and day but there are differences there so Aaron being in this environment that feels like home to him is really really cool to witness as a fan as a consumer so yeah i think everything about this track just worked really really well and i am so eager to listen to the rest of this record come november 5th all right some star set news we got a brand new single from them i am assuming this is the final single before horizons is out on october 22nd the single is called earthrise I need to see more people talking about the singles run that Starset has been on this year because ever since Infected dropped back in May and then subsequently the Horizons cycle officially beginning back in August, I believe it was, every single that they've dropped has just been this expansion on the sound that they already established with all their prior records and what these songs are doing are showing that Starset are staying true to themselves they are delivering everything that their fan base can come to expect from them and probably want from them at this point um you know just like that whole like galactic cosmic whatever you want to say kind of lore that star set have going for them they are just like they're hammering in everything that they want to and i think it's really really cool to see a band just understand their identity understand who they are understand their sound and deliver on all fronts in all of those areas. Earthrise, it kind of reminds me of Die For You, like as terms in terms of the pacing of it, uh, Die For You having been one of the bigger songs off of uh, Vessels back in 2017. It's kind of a slower song than any of the other singles so far for Horizons, but when I say slower, I don't really mean like ballad-like, it's just paced a little bit differently than the other singles, and that's perfectly fine because it shows the versatility on the part of Star Set and how they're able to just hit home runs with whatever it is that they set their minds to. And, you know, Earthrise is just, you know, it's another instance of Horizons already shaping up to be this incredible album. And I don't want to jump ahead of myself, but given the track record of Starset in the attachment I have to that band, I do not see any way that in two weeks' time, I'm not coming on this show and just absolutely gushing over Horizons. Trauma Factory by Nothing Nowhere is not even a year old yet. I, I think it came out in February, so we're on like eight months now of that record cycle. Yet, Nothing Nowhere went ahead and dropped a brand new single, not attached to anything as of right now. It is called Pieces of You. The song, Pieces of You, as well as the music video that came with it, I think really show a lot of growth on the part of Nothing Nowhere. And what I mean by that is, you know, if you go back earlier into his catalog, he, in his videos, like, there's not really much of him presented in those things. He's not really, like, showing himself. He's not really putting himself out there. And that's totally fine, totally understandable, you know. Uh, but in the video for Pieces of You, 
he, nothing, nowhere, Joe is like front and center on this fucking thing. He is right there. His face is just plastered all over this thing. And I think it shows like growing confidence within him. And that is like, like, yes, there should be this growth within nothing, nowhere because his work over the years has just been top notch. This guy is on top of the fucking game right now. He, I, like, I'm not going to say he's my favorite soul artist, but I have all of the respect in the world for Joe. I think he is a tremendous artist, and he really should be proud and confident in what he's been doing. Pieces of You is very heartfelt. It's quite different from anything on Trauma Factory, but I really, really appreciate that. I enjoy being able to see and hear these different sides of Nothing Nowhere and be, for like, just once again reminded of how versus how he is, how necessary he is to our scene, and the place near the top that he has on, like, in a stranglehold. Nothing Nowhere is one of the most talented artists of the last couple of years. I, I back that firmly. And, you know, I just know that whatever he's going to do next, and if it's, you know, some kind of a reissue of Trauma Factory, or if we're going to go ahead and move into something completely different now, like, all the faith in the world that dude is going to kill it. Year of the Moth. It do be that time again. We got a brand new Like Moss to Flame single. It is going to be on the Pure Like Porcelain EP dropping November 5th. The song is The Preservation of Hate. I'm not going to answer the question of do I prefer heavy moths or melodic moths when both sides of this band are just equally as impressive and so fucking cool and good and like just the expertise that like Moths of Flames show every time they drop something is second to none. These guys are on top of the fucking scene. They are like really one of the like pivotal, pivotal, that's the word right? Pivotal metalcore bands uh out there right now and it's been that way for the last couple of years honestly this band is just made up of some of the most talented musicians in the entire scene right now and you know everyone has always praised chris roder to the highest degree and that is absolutely appropriate chris roder is one of the best vocalists i've ever had the privilege of listening to and all of moths for that matter are just at the top of their class they understand what they're doing they they got their sound down and it's been down for such a long time now you know selfishly yes i would like something on pure like porcelain to be uh, like more melodic in the way that my favorite song from no eternity in gold which was fluorescent white was but if we're gonna get an ep of just like straight bangers from moths in the manner of the preservation of hate i am more than okay with that this track fucking rules let me go ahead and circle back to the first band that I talked about for the singles on this chapter, and that was Like Pacific. I already raved about Love Them and Leave Them, and right now I want to put the attention onto the other single that the band dropped last week, and that is Ketamine Jesus. I'm not sure if I can actually properly explain why I preferred Love Them and Leave Them. There's just something about that song's sound that 
hit me just a bit more than Ketamine Jesus did, but take nothing away from Ketamine Jesus, this track is outstanding, it is the like right type of explosive pop punk that really like grabs me and I gravitate towards, and what these two singles are telling me is, and I think I already said this with Love Them and Leave Them, so I'm probably just reiterating myself, like this is a record to pay attention to, like close fucking attention to, not just you know, added to the list of reviews for that week's episode just because I need content. Like, this, you know, I I think December 3rd was the date for that, and I don't know what else is dropping that day, but I kind of foresee, like Pacific, getting, like, top billing on that week's chapter. I think this, just these two singles alone have impressed me in, in, in ways that like Pacific didn't necessarily do on any other material prior. I've always thought they were a good band, but I think they've just been a good band in a sea of other acts that share similarities with them. But these two singles puts them on a pedestal. It makes them stand out. I am beyond thrilled with these two songs, and I just really, really cannot wait for this record. This is going to be the perfect way to cap off the year for me personally. The last single that I'll be going in-depth on for this chapter comes from Circus Survive, who, after a few years of inactivity, are going to be releasing their brand new EP, A Dream About Love, out on October 22nd. And we have the lead single to that EP. It is called Imposter Syndrome. Circus Survive may as well be considered a legacy act by this point if they haven't already been. You know, these guys are practically legends given the longevity that they've had in the scene and the fact that they're able to remain relevant. Like, anytime something about them comes up and there's a new project in the works or there's even just news about them, it gets attention. Circus Survive are one of those bands that, you know, can go away and come back and it really feels like nothing was lost. Imposter Syndrome is a very, very sick track. It has this incredible buildup throughout it, and it's surrounded by, like, this ambient atmosphere that is almost, like, unnerving at times, but also comfortable. It's a really weird song, yet really, really fucking dope. Uh, the music video for it, I feel like, is appropriate for that intensity that builds up throughout the track, because it's just the vocalist Anthony Green getting his hair cut, like, but as his hair is getting shorter, the song, I said, that buildup just becomes more and more aggressive, and it is one of the more, I would say, impactful visuals that I've seen be attached to a song so far this year. It's a very simple concept, but the way that it's able to complement the song itself is beautiful, in my opinion. So now I'm going to go ahead and briefly just uh, go through the remainder of the singles from last week that I said I liked on social media. I'm Doing Push-Ups by Bears and Trees, Laurel Canyon by Calling All Captains, Feel Alive by Crossfaith, Anything at All by Dead by April, NZD by Fault Lines, Sick Little Games by First and Forever, I Felt It Too by Gold Necklace, Stallion by Mercy, Buried Alive by Our Last Night, Stitch Me Up by Point North, BWBB by Soft Colt, Condemned by Stain the Canvas featuring Telly Smith from The Word Alive, Diva by Up Late, and Outrun by Veil of Maya. The one single from last week I said I 
didn't mind was Kaijo by Memorist. And all of the Memorist singles so far this year, I've been, you know, pretty okay with. I, I've liked them for the most part. Uh, but there was just something about Kaijo that I couldn't really connect with. There was like this disconnect and I don't really, really know why. Like it just, the, the quality from Memorist on the other singles, I didn't believe it was there on Kaijo. And, you know, it, it's nothing against the band. One, like, average song is not going to affect my opinion of them. They've been solid all the way through this year, and I have no doubt that that will be the continuing trend moving onwards for Memorist. And so that was everything for the singles. There was nothing as far as a single goes last week that I didn't like, but that is absolutely not the case with the records, and I'm going to go ahead and talk about that right now, because last week I listened to quite possibly my least favorite album of the entire year so far. And it, it wasn't surprising. I wasn't expecting anything from this record, but given the, I don't, I don't want to say attachment, but just like sort of admiration that I have for this band at one point, it is insanely disappointing, but you know, I'll, I'll go ahead and just get into all my feelings about it uh, in a minute. The album is In the Court of the Dragon by Trivium. I'm not saying this to be a dick. It's just the honest-to-God truth. If last week were a busy week with records, I would not have even listened to In the Court of the Dragon. And again, that's just me keeping it a stack. But like, I don't believe I even checked out any of the singles leading into the record or single. I don't know if that is singular or plural. Um, so I'm admitting that I very much so don't care about Trivium in this day and age. But... There was a time back in the 2000s when I was, like, starting to get into Metalcore where I wasn't, like, fully paying attention to Trivium in the same way that I was, like, Avenged Sevenfold or Killswitch Engage. But Trivium, they were a band that I was aware of. And, you know, even to this day, they have a lot of material. Not a lot of, let me take that back. They've got some material that, if it comes up on Shuffle, I, I stick with it, you know? Like, after listening to In the Court of the Dragon... I went to go listen to some of the songs from them that I have a great appreciation for, like uh, A Gunshot to the Head of Trepidation or Like Light to the Flies, and then even some stuff later off of like Shogun and In Waves, I think is really, really gnarly. Yet, like, ever since uh, In Waves, or after In Waves, I should say, I, was it Vengeance? I think it's like what that album after that was called. Um, ever since then... I have not been in alignment with anything from Trivium whatsoever. And I do hate to say this, but like, there was a lack of, I don't even know if this is a word, but like retainability in either of the two listens I gave this record. Like just out of courtesy, I do listen to every record that I review on the show at least twice. If it's something that excites me, of course I listen to it way more. But with Trivium, I gave it the two listens. The first one was kind of brutal to get through. The second one wasn't very different from the other. I was, I guess I was kind of just paying attention to see like, okay, are there any highlights I can pull apart from this record? And the biggest highlight comes from the opening song, which is called X. And 
that might be kind of disrespectful to say that's my favorite song on the on the record because it's just an intro song. It's not it's not really a track. It's just something to kind of like get you in the mood, I guess, for in the core of the dragon and all the concepts that it goes after. Uh, the actual title track itself, I thought, was boring, but not as boring as some of the other songs, especially the ones that follow it, like uh, like a sword of like a sword over Domicles. I, I don't know how to pronounce that. I'm sorry. Or Feast of Fire, which I think Feast of Fire was the single, and I saw it, and or I saw it on the TL, like, oh, Trivium released a new song, and I was like, yeah, I'm okay for right now. I think that was a week that was like packed with singles, so I didn't, I I didn't really feel like fitting it in. If it was like a lesser week, then yeah, I would have, but uh, in that instance, I just didn't really feel like it. Um, the shadow of the a a batter a a baiter it better not be called a baiter um that song it's very very long a lot of these songs on here are very very long i'm gonna check the actual runtime of in the court of the dragon because that's not something that i believe i picked up uh earlier so uh just keep in mind it is 10 songs and it is 52 minutes and 16 seconds so like, you're in this for the long run if you decide to press play on In the Court of the Dragon. But, uh, the thing about Shadow was it's one of those very, very long songs. Yet, I felt like there are enough concepts there that are, like, kind of, sort of interesting. It, it definitely to the point where I didn't feel as tired with that song as I did many of the other tracks here. Um, and the same thing applied to No Way Back Just Through, which is a track that follows Shadow. And I think with that song, I, I listened to those two back to back and I'm like, okay, maybe the rest of the record isn't going to be abysmal, just kind of mundane. But no, it, it, it sinks back into that realm of just like, I'm, I'm not enjoying this whatsoever. And, you know, I don't mean for this to be like a slander piece against Trivium. I have absolutely nothing against Trivium. I'm not attacking them personally. I'm just saying that this is a record that was not meant for me. It was never meant for me, and that is okay. There are a lot of people out there who are very, very into this style of metal, and for all those out there who classify themselves as being part of that audience, I really, really hope that they got to enjoy this record and they love it, and if this was someone's favorite album of the year, that is fucking great, and I'm happy that they got to listen to something that they really, really enjoy and can kind of take with them for the rest of their lives. You know, that is always a beautiful thing in music when you latch onto something no matter what anyone else says. And, you know, if you want to make this record your own, then fucking go ahead, dude. Like, all the power to you. If you love this record, then, you know, tell all your friends, tell everybody on social media that you love this record. It was just not something that I could attach myself to. And, you know, I, I can't really say much else about it. I'm not going to get angry or, like, you know, outraged over this record. I, I can't come on here and be like, oh, I fucking hate this, and if you like it, you're stupid as fuck, or whatever, whatever. Like, I'm just not that person. I, Unless a band, like, gives a reason beyond the music for me to sign them, then I will. But Trivium, all they're doing is just making music. And it happens to be music that I don't really vibe with, and that's okay. Um, will I listen to the next thing they put out? Yeah, probably. Just because Trivium is such a, like, a legacy act and a staple in that early foundation of metalcore that I kind of want to give them their credit and respect every single time that they do something. But 
if I still happen to have a show by the time that happens and I do review it, I don't really see how, you know, what they're doing in two years or three years is any different from what I listened to last Friday. Brand new album from Poor Stacy, who I would wager is going to have himself a banner year in 2022. Uh, the album is called Party at the Cemetery. Aside from this just being a very good and enjoyable record that I think can do a lot of wonders for Port Stacy's career, the other reason I said that I think 2022, 2022, that is actually a mouthful. I fucking hate that. I have to start saying that regularly. One of the bigger things of 2022 happening for Port Stacy, I mentioned it earlier at the start of, near the start of the show, is the fact that he will be part of Bring Me the Horizons European tour, uh, He's not opening. He's like the second uh, artist on the bill. I believe Lorna Shore is the actual like opener opener. Uh, but poor Stacey just getting on the bill at all is fucking outstanding. And if, you know, Ali Sykes is featured on one of the songs here. I'll get to that later. But like if Ali actually does come out to do his part with poor Stacey, like that is going to just fucking, that is going to be tremendous in a live setting. And I absolutely cannot wait to see videos on youtube and twitter and instagram of like if that actually does happen the, the connection that that song is able to have with the audience there well actually since i've already like touched on that song quite a bit i'll go ahead and start the review with that uh the song is called knife party and it is just so chaotic and energetic and fast-paced and there's not really any time in in, in that track for you to breathe and uh, poor stacy is just like delivering with all of this aggression and this angst that I think is absolutely necessary when you're uh, like going after this certain sound of like punk or, or hardcore, that blend of it. And with Ollie's verse, he is just, just fucking firing, man. Like he, one of the coolest things about Ollie's features are his, his, or one of the coolest things is like his ability to go onto a track and match the energy of whoever he's on there with. Like, back in June, I think it was, he had No More Friends with Olivia O'Brien, and that is just like a pop song all the way through, and he's able to channel that, like, pop side of him, whereas with something like Knife Party, Ali, like, he takes on that role of, like, the hardcore kid again, the punk kid, and it is awesome to see him be able to come on here and like he and poor stacy sound like equals not one sounds larger in scope than the other they both sound like they're on the same playing field and that was absolutely necessary to make knife party the success that i believe it is the way that the record opens with crooked intro i think perfectly sets the stage for what party at the cemetery is going for and the kind of sonic tones that you're going to be getting throughout all of this record it is very unsettling and just like like it feels like static consuming my brain that was at least like the perception that i had of it and the way it leads into the title track is just in incredible in my opinion and the title track i think is like a, a reaffirmation of who poor stacy is and what you're gonna hear on party at the cemetery like you know i said this about knife party like this is a punk record with like you know flares of hardcore thrown in it's not pop punk like this is just like punk music all the way through and that is kind of refreshing to hear in this day and age in the scene i don't know how often i get to come on here and talk about like like an actual punk release so 
Party at the Cemetery, while it feels like things that I have listened to before, it felt new within the realm of Ulterior, and I am grateful for that. Children of the Dark gave me some pretty serious Three Cheers for Sweet Revenge vibes. It has, like, that, like, flair of aged emo, like, driven into it, and I think it makes for this outstanding track. Uh, Dia de los Muertos is one of the more unique songs on the record, and I say that, like, with the understanding that this is a record full of unique songs, it just has, like, this, like, I don't want to say, like, horror flair to it, but it, it it takes on that unsettling feeling that I mentioned earlier in a different manner, and it's one of the instances of Portesi, like, really showing how versatile he can be on this record. There's a track called Heroin that is one of the shorter ones on the album, and it's primarily acoustic, and, like, throughout that acoustic, uh, like, take of the song, Poor Stacy kind of has this delivery that is very, like, wary and tired. It reminds me of Lil Peep in a lot of ways, and I, I think that is another layer to uh, Party at the Cemetery that, you know, isn't necessarily there on other songs, so I appreciate what Heroin was doing. And then by the end of Heroin, it just, like, it, it explodes into this wall of sound, and it sounds just like chaos coming at you, and it's really, really dope. Run was another short song, and that one... It blends in, like, these electronic tones, and for that reason, I was able to pull, like, Ghostmane as a potential influence on that track. That wariness that I was talking about earlier on Heroin, take that idea and just expand on it, and I think that's what you get with the song The Devil Wears Prada. It feels like one of the more slower-paced tracks, but at the same time, it's able to, like, retain that frantic energy that you find on some of the other songs on Party at the Cemetery, and I walked away from this record thinking that if Knife Party wasn't my favorite song, then it would absolutely be The Devil Wears Prada. I just had such a really, really enjoyable listening experience with that song. And similarly to the song Run that I said kind of sounded like Ghostmane to me, like, expand on that, and I think you get Ultraviolence. That is just this really, really cool, like, kind of industrial-sounding track in a lot of areas. And then the record closes on Don't Drive, We Drink Too Much Tonight, and that one feels like the most throwback song to, like, that golden age of punk music from, like, way back when, you know, before probably any of us were born. And I think it is a very, very cool way to close out the record because it is different from everything else I heard. And I think the juxtaposition between Don't Drive or Drink Too Much Tonight and then Crooked Intro, it kind of, like, shows you that this was a record that took every chance that it wanted to and in my opinion i think it pulled all of its ideas off incredibly well uh the only reason that i gave this like an 8.5 i believe at the time of hearing it was just because i felt like you know the, the runtime on this record is very 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 short i'm gonna check real quick because i think it's 29 minutes yeah it's 29 minutes across 14 songs so, you know, I said earlier about trivia being like 10 songs in almost an hour. This is 14 songs and 29 minutes. I, 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 I love every concept on this record. I just think maybe there could have been room to just let them breathe a little bit more. And thus there would have been more life to some of these moments. And, but that's not me saying that anything on this record is lifeless. I'm just saying that I think I came out of this record being like, that was, like, that felt like a glimpse of what poor Stacey can do, in my opinion, if that makes any sense. And so I would love to see a longer release from him somewhere down the line. A release that I think can kind of take its time to flesh itself out and really, really show what poor Stacey is capable of. Because I don't think that Party at the Cemetery is, like... I, I, I don't think 
poor Stacey showed everything that he can do. I think he showed, like, again, a lot of glimpses of it, and there's definitely potential here in everything that he's doing. I want his next release to expand on that potential and really, really drive home what I believe is a fact of his abilities and talent and the just the the artistry that we could all be privileged to listen to from poor Stacy. So now I'm going to talk about a record that I shamefully did not know was dropping until it showed up in my Spotify bell notification thing, like right after 11 p.m. Central on Thursday night. Uh, and again, I say that shamefully because I did hear all the singles for this record and, you know, I enjoyed all of them and I had no reason to miss out on the anticipation and the buildup for this record. Um, so right now we're going to go into Ascension by Cemetery Sun. I first came across Cemetery Sun last year off of a single called Supernatural, which didn't make Ascension, so ultimately that was just a standalone. But what a fucking standalone that was. I was like, how have I not heard of this band before? Like, they sound amazing. I'm not totally sure how to try selling the sound of Cemetery Sun, because when you go to their Spotify page, the artists uh, who fans also like section... I don't really think that adds up to, like, the the overall sound of Cemetery Sun. Like, one of the artists that it says fans also like is Badflower. And just in terms of sonic tones, I don't fully hear the crossover between, between Badflower and Cemetery Sun. If I had to make, like, any kind of a comparison to another contemporary band, I would say that Cemetery Sun remind me of Normandy, just not as, like, over-the-top and aggressive in some of the ways that Normandy can be at times. There were three singles for Ascension, uh, 19, Misery's Company, and IDNUA. I would say you can go ahead and listen to those three tracks, and you do get a very good understanding of what Ascension is trying to be and what it goes after. Um, you know, pretty straightforward alternative rock music, I guess, is what you would say it is. Uh, there are, like, bits of pop thrown in, it, just slight, slight hints of hip-hop as well. And I think all of that kind of blends together and makes for this very, very cool and incredible package that feels like what a lot of other bands have tried to go for. And for Cemetery Sun to just, I don't want to say come out of nowhere, but to kind of just like come, come up unexpectedly and deliver on that sound is amazing. And it was one of the reasons why this was my favorite record last week and why it's been able to stick with me even days later. Track number three, Chemical Warfare, is my favorite song on Ascension. It was one of my favorite songs overall last week. I think it reminds me a lot of like some of the later stuff from Linkin Park. Like maybe like Minutes to Midnight through One More Light, but like not really this extreme on one side or the other. It kind of just takes all of those ideas and puts them into this one package. And it's very, very catchy. It has like this really, really cool, it's like sort of like this like little electronic keyboard um, melody going for it in the uh the intro and then like uh after the choruses it's just like this really really i want i want to say fun song like i can't listen to chemical warfare and feel like anxious or angry about anything in my personal life it's just a really soothing song that you know it's not meant to be soothing i think it's kind of just like this really really cool like rock song with uh, again more flares of pop being thrown in 
but I really, really enjoy Chemical Warfare. I think it is the highlight of Ascension. It's the song that when Ascension finished, I was like, let me go back and listen to Chemical Warfare just over and over again. And I did so for like, I don't even know how long, man, like an hour, hour and a half. I just spent listening to Chemical Warfare. The song I'm Not Sorry Now is a good look into maybe the softer side of Cemetery Sun. It's not like a, a really soft song. It's not a ballad. It's just like toned down from the other ideas on the other songs. Yet, I think even if the ideas are toned down, the quality is definitely not Cemetery Sun. Still deliver on that track the same way that they do everything else here. Uh, Heartbreak Kid features Lil Lotus. And what I mentioned earlier about like flares of hip hop being shown on Ascension like, it's no more true than it is with Heartbreak Kid, and the inclusion of Lil Lotus, I think, is meant to really, like, drive that point home. The two songs that follow Heartbreak Kid kind of do the same thing to certain extents. Uh, Issues, especially, that one does have, like, almost like this ambient hip-hop feel to it, and then slipping away to a, to an extent again as well, uh, but that one kind of feels, like, a little bit more grounded in the main rock sound that Ascension kind of takes on. Devil on Your Tongue serves as the album's closer, and it is fucking outstanding. I love Devil on Your Tongue. It does really feel like this culmination of everything you've heard up to that point. The course on Devil on Your Tongue is very fast-paced compared to everything else here, pretty much, yet it's able to, like, retain so much catchiness, and it just fucking, like, I'm able to vibe with this thing, man. It is this really, really outstanding song. It closes the record on probably as good of a note as it possibly could have. And coming out of Ascension and the multiple times I've listened to it, I think that, you know, we, we are not giving Cemetery Sun their due credit. We're not talking about them enough. They're not on enough people's radars and minds, and they really, really should be. I think there's a lot from Ascension that people within the scene can take from and just really, really sink their teeth into and gravitate towards. Cemetery Sun, like, they really, really do have the potential to become one of the like more bright and talented younger bands in the scene i say younger i don't really know if they're actually like young per se i don't know how long they've been around but i just know that they do not have the exposure that ascension warrants it is just this amazing package of tracks that you know like i said already this was my favorite record of last week it has been one of my favorite records of the last few weeks and that really really does say a lot because there have been some fucking bangers last few weeks dude um, and Ascension, it really, really does hold its own against all of those other albums from other acts. And I want to see more love for Ascension and just Cemetery Sun in general on the TL. I want this to be a record that more people get exposed to. And, you know, if Ulterior was a bigger platform, then maybe that would, you know, do something. But that's one of the reasons why I'm sticking with this platform, with the idea that one day, maybe I could be in a position to let a larger amount of people know like, hey, Cemetery Sun exists, Ascension exists, Chemical Warfare exists, Devil on Your Tongue exists, and you really, really should be acknowledging these things. So that was everything that I had to talk about for music on this chapter. If you were here just for music, then the, the chapter is over. Thank you for your time. Uh, you know, I hope you enjoyed it and, you know, come back next week and we'll talk about I Sign Kills and whoever else is doing something this week. But for right now, I want to do something I've never done before on Ulterior, and that is venture outside of music and talk about a different medium of entertainment because it is something that has consumed me the last week. Like, you know, music has been on my mind, of, of course, the last week. It always is. But I would be lying if I said that it was the thing that I paid attention to the most. Uh, 
because there is something going on right now, kind of like a cultural phenomenon, if you will, that cannot be ignored. And I went ahead and partook in it and I had the experience of a lifetime. So this is going to be me just briefly giving some thoughts, spoiler free thoughts, just putting that out there on the Netflix series Squid Game. So I'm about to expose myself as being like kind of uncultured in the realm of television because most of the time that I'm watching shows, it's anime. I don't really pay attention to like other forms of TV. Uh, I've only seen like through Netflix. I watched uh, 13 Reasons Why. I watched the first season of You and I struggle to remember if I've watched anything else from that platform. I didn't see Stranger Things. I didn't see The Witcher. I didn't see, you know, whatever else is like hyped up on there. Um, Tiger King, I never watched it because those things just don't really interest me. It's not, they're not mediums that I feel inclined to pay attention to and devote time to. And, you know, if it wasn't for like the overwhelming, you know, response to Squid Game on social media, I don't know if I would have given this a chance. I think one of the big things that made me decide to go ahead and finally watch Squid Game was the aesthetic to everything that I was seeing on social media. So, you know, the understanding that it is a Korean-based show, that really interested me. And then also just the dichotomy between, I didn't know at the time that was like, there's players and then there's guards, but the, the dichotomy between the way that they're dressed and the fact that like, they are on opposite ends of like the color scale. So, you know, the players are all wearing green and then the guards are in red, except for the front man who is uh, donning all black. That was like one of those things that's like, it, it told me that there was a lot more thought put into this show than just is what like, than what is just on the surface level. So that did a lot to get me excited to at least try watching the first episode. So, like I said, I'm not going to get into any spoilers or anything like that, but I will say that the first episode, it kind of, like, does what any show is meant to, which is, like, it doesn't set the pace for the rest of the series, but it at least, like, builds up everything that it needs to before you go into the first game. And the the first game, I'm pretty sure everybody knows this by now, it's Red Light, Green Light. Seeing that play out and understand like exactly what Squid Game is and the concept behind it and the level of violence that this show explores, that is where I was hooked. And then you kind of get to see like these little like inklings of character development from people outside of Gihun, who is the main character of the show. And it's like, okay, there is this, you know, diabolical scheme going on. And so many people are dying, but then the people who are not dying, some of them you're seeing like glimpses of who they are. And for me, it's like, I want to watch the next episode to learn more about Sabiok. I want to learn more about Ali. I want to learn more about Songwoo. And that was necessary, I think, to get me into wanting to watch the second episode. And then again, from there, like I was hooked. And, you know, there were times where I wasn't doing anything really. And I was just thinking about Squid Game. I didn't want to binge it. I I like pacing myself with watching shows. I don't want to finish it all in one sitting. 
I like to give myself time after episodes to like think about what I watched, what I think could happen later on in a show. I I like pacing myself is basically what I'm saying. And then above wanting to learn about the characters, like I wanted to learn more about this game. It's like, who is running it? Why is this a thing? Like, how do they have the resources and the means to pull all this stuff off? And all of these little mysteries that you find yourself like diving into after the first episode, you like, or I shouldn't say you, but like for me personally, like that element of the unknown is very unsettling and unnerving, but at the same time, like it's what keeps me coming back to shows. And along with that, I do gravitate towards like more malevolent forms of entertainment when it comes to TV and movies and things like that. You know, so like my favorite anime of all time is Attack on Titan. Attack on Titan is very, very violent. Uh, Future Diary, which is an anime that I think has a lot of parallels to Squid Game. That one is just like gore in every fucking episode in the same way that Squid Game is. And Squid Game's gore was definitely something that like attracted me to it. And, you know, I, I don't know what that says about me, but I just, I, I really, really enjoyed that aspect of it. It wasn't afraid to be like demented at times. And I really, really admire that. And that's kind of a, about like all I can say regarding the plot of the show and my feelings towards different aspects of it, because if I go any further, then I'll end up spoiling stuff. And I really, really don't want to do that. Uh, what I will say, though, right now is the impact that Squid Game has had on social media over the last few weeks. I really, really don't know if I've ever seen anything like it. It's like everybody's watching this show. Everybody knows about it. Everybody understands the memes that are being posted about like, you know, the, the red light, green light doll facing you or the the memes of like player one in one picture. He's excited and the other picture he's in a fetal position. Um, what was the other one? The uh, the honeycomb thing where you carve out a shape. Like I saw a lot of those. I made one for Ulterior where it's like Cybiok holding up the, uh, the iteration cat. Uh, there wasn't really a reason for me to do that. I was just kind of like, hey, this is what interests me. So this is like what I'm doing right now. Uh, that's kind of all that it really was. Um, and like just the impact that the show is having, like I said, on social media, but then also the lives of everyone involved in it. You have to understand, like, they might not have thought that this was going to take off the way that it did. And you can never really go into a project when it comes in, in the entertainment business and assume, like, that there's going to be a level of success to what you're doing, especially for something like Squid Game that doesn't have any kind of a predecessor. And so the the level of fame and notoriety that all of the actors and actresses involved are receiving right now, I cannot imagine being in their position. So, like, you know, the woman who plays Sabiok, she went from, I think I read somewhere, it was like 400,000 Instagram followers before the show aired, and then now she's like 19.5 million the last time I saw. So, you know, a growth of like approximately 19 million people suddenly knowing who you are and being interested in your life, like, I, I wouldn't fucking know what to do with myself at that point. And, like, just the way that this show has, like, such a stranglehold on like pop culture right now and modern society. I really, really enjoy it because it's a show that I think warrants all of its success. It is truthfully one of my favorite shows I've ever seen. I do intend on going back to watch it again just to see if I can like pick up on some of the hints that I've read about being spread throughout the show about like different plot points that happen later on. Um, Everything about this show gripped me the way that I want something like it to grip me. It was fascinating. 
I became heavily invested in a lot of the characters. You know, some of the more tragic things that happened throughout the show, like really, really affected me. Um, I wasn't sitting in a Starbucks and there is a certain part of the show that happens near the end. I, I think if I was anywhere other than like a public setting, I might have just started bawling. Like it affected me to a great level. And when a show is able to do that, it means a lot to me. And I, I know Squid Game is going to be something that I hold close to my heart for the rest of my life. It is something that I think everybody really should experience for themselves. If you have not watched it yet, you know, for whatever reason, I do suggest watching it. If you don't want to watch it because of the violence involved, you know, that's totally understandable. It is very, very fucked up. It does get to you psychologically, mentally, emotionally, all those aspects. Um, but if this show is something that you can stomach and you can get through, I highly, 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 highly recommend watching it. It is a fascinating experience. It is the most viral experience of the year. And I am, uh, above all else, very, very pleased and happy to have been able to watch something like Squid Game. Not only just watch the show, but watch the development of its fame and success in real time. And that was it. That was every album and EP and single and TV show that I had to talk about this week. Um, I definitely would like to expand more in the future when it comes to talking about entertainment forms outside of just music. Um, so, you know, if there's like an anime or a video game or just something that is out there and I happen to come across it and I really enjoy it, I don't see why I wouldn't feel like coming on here and talking about it. Again, it has nothing to do with music, but you know, maybe the future of Ulterior doesn't lie in just music. Maybe this is something that I can look at as being like a, like a multi-part of, um, I don't know, how, I don't know how to say it. Just something that has like a lot of areas to it and layers that are not just music, but rather various forms of entertainment. So, uh, I'm going to go ahead and sign off on this now. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this chapter. And as always, for better or worse, let's make a scene.